It's Thursday, July 6, 2017, and you're listening to episode 448 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 58 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Brodor. This is Wayne. Can't take your eyes off the canyon. I am ensorcelled. And that's Chad. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So what is uh, Brodor doing here? I I fired him on Sunday morning. Brodor, like the rest of us, just doesn't listen to you, Chad. I know, right? (laughs) In fact, I even said I'm not sitting across from him. (laughs) <laughs> she might get spit on <laughs> right so it's like 2 30 in the morning fear the con saturday i mean it is after hours and this was one of those conversations where everybody who's hanging out talking drinking some beers and stuff is like oh yeah i'm i'm gonna go to bed oh this is my last beer i'm gonna go to bed and you know two hours later we're still shooting the shit and going back and forth and so there's this group of us and i have a herniated disc Even with my exercise that's helped it, I can only stand for so long. So I sit down, even though this was sort of a standing party. And I sit down, and there's... It was a a power move. It was. I I read it in one of those corporate bullshit management things about how if you're sitting and everyone else is standing, it's a power move. Yeah, that's right. And if everyone else is sitting, you stand up. You had your your Trump tie on, too. It was weird. Yeah, Because it didn't go with your T-shirt. But I had no other clothing on. Just the Trump tie. Just the Trump tie. Yeah. (laughs) Hence the spit tie. And nobody knew he was naked because of all the hair. (laughs) That's right. I know, right? So anyway, (laughs) Brodor the Younger was deep into his cups right i was however uh-huh. I, I was still able to enunciate stand yes. and not vomit well, well we said that no one could tell that you were drunk except you had the crazy eyes oh i did have the crazy <laughs> eyes too. so crazy <laughs> eyes so anyway he's pounding these beers. he's like i've got a hotel room i don't have to drive all you have to do is pour me into the elevator and he, he, it was this big thing about how i just have to go left and then go right and i'm in there and ha ah, and you know, I'm going to drink, I'm going to drink. And, and so he is. He's drinking. It was a right drink. and then a left, but yeah, yeah so right, far, right, right. So far <laughs> accurate. Yeah. So he's standing directly across from me. Again, and I sit down. And so he takes this big swig of beer, because we were talking or something. He's looking right at me. And then as he's drinking this gigantic swig of beer, somebody says something to him. So he looks right. And then what the person had said mid-swig, and then he's finished with the swig, was a joke. (laughs) Which makes him involuntarily bust out laughing. So he whips his head around and sprays beer all over me. And I was was sober enough to be ashamed. It was like this roller coaster of emotions, right? I'm sitting there like, do-do-do, what the? And I... I'm angry. I don't even register what actually happened. I don't register that Brodor did it or what. And my first thought was, wow, what the? And then I look up and Brodor has this look of shock and horror on his face. I felt terrible. I mean, you just, your the color drained out. Your, the crazy eyes had turned into saucers. Your, you were slack jawed and glassy eyed. And you were just like, oh my God. And then I look up at you. I look up and I'm like, suddenly I'm not angry anymore. And I'm confused because I'm like, what is the social rules here? My friend just did a spit take on me. I should be angry, but I'm not because it's Brodor. Yeah. And I don't know what to do. I'm just well, like, this is some you 1980s. make a joke? Do you, do you, I mean, do you, do you just kind of pretend it didn't happen? This I, isn't some 1980s sitcom where you just go, oh. 
Brodor. <laughs> and the audience laughs along. No, the, the dude just spit beer all right. over you. Yeah. Beer all over me. And whatever was said wasn't funny. No. That's the one thing I remember. Yeah. I don't know why I didn't spit take, but because it was not funny. He's horrified. You are horrified at your actions. You are apologizing. I'm like, it's cool. It's cool. It happens. You know, I party fall. He's grabbing napkins. He's wiping me off, which, of course, I let him because, you know, you don't have any opportunity. This is the point in the story where I became confused. Yes. So, all right. And thus, I fired him from the podcast. Now, Chad does not actually have the authority to fire you. Fear the Boot is actually a legal entity recognized by a state of Missouri. That's not a joke. That is a true statement. And under its uh, filings, there are only two individuals that are actually recognized as having authority through the boot. One is my accountant, who is recognized mm-hmm. as the individual who, you know, filed the paper, right? This right. is the base business I, guy, business contact, right? But then the, the company's sole agent. Okay. So the only person that actually owns any portion of fear the boot for whatever that's worth. And the answer is, is not much. The answer is not much. <laughs> Is me okay? So that therefore makes me the head of the HR department. Well, Dan, I have a complaint. So, <laughs> well, I know. I just listened to this complaint, <laughs> and so Brodor, we're well, in arbitration. That's oh, where we're at. While he was talking, I folded this skies of glass character sheet into the preparatory shape to make a paper snowflake for Chad. There's your scissors. You're going to make a snowflake to show Chad that he's a special snowflake. Oh, I am. And you're very, very sorry for what you did. And we'll include a picture of this in the show notes so you can see the bro flake. The bro Oh, my God. At first, I thought this was a dumb joke. But now I really want a bro flake. <laughs> so, I, did, I did apologize. Shut up and work on your bro flake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Until that bro flake is done. You are suspended without pay. <laughs> All and right. if you don't finish it the next five minutes, I'm taking you on a haunted investigation. All right. So, Fear the Con just ended. Yes. And obviously. And there's several things I want to throw out here, and I apologize in advance because I know I'm going to forget people. But I want to start by thanking the individuals that really made it possible. Abraham Lincoln. Starting. <laughs> I guess technically, <laughs> but starting with the people that did the lion's share of the organizational work, which is Adam Gottfried, Bob Ahrens, and Derek Knudsen. Mm-hmm. And I also want to thank the individuals that helped locally, Beth, who, in my opinion, <laughs> she, I appreciate what she did, but... She, Beth is a doer. Beth, yes, Beth is a doer. In she, fact, we should have pulled her out. And... Julia, of course, for all the stuff she did with the food. Who was another one that we should have pulled out? She I, had a kid. I want to thank all the people that backed the Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. And I know there's people I'm forgetting that helped out in there, the people that were in the vendor hall and such. And I particularly want to thank everyone that showed up, that played in the games, that participated, mm-hmm. that helped make this another convention with just, it was a great experience, great attitude, you know, great people. I mean, okay. We had no security threats this year. <laughs> so far, we've only had one in 10 years. So I know, right? And I, this was not one of those times. Yeah, and I, I feel pretty good about that. Yeah. You know, uh, I have known Derek for years. Sure. He's been a stable of the con. Mm-hmm. I walk in on wing night, and I'm looking at this guy. 
I'm like, his beard had a blast radius. Yes, point. I'm like, who is this guy? Did, had, you, did you touch his beard? No, no what, I touched his. Beard. What, no, I'm serious. This is not a. I asked him if I could. touch this his is, beard. He let me. It's glorious. This is not an exaggeration or false story. When I walked up and I walked around a corner and was suddenly face to face. I mean, like twelve, maybe twenty four inches tops from Derek. And that beard, I actually like fell about a half step back. Recoiled in horror. No, I didn't recoil. That beard has force. Yeah. And what Dan's not mentioning is he stepped around the corner to meet the beard. Derek was still downstairs. He was out there. That that checked into the hotel. That beard's mightiness just projected itself. But no, I'm not joking. I really. Majestic beard. Because Derek's a tall guy, right? I'm a tall guy. Derek is taller. Yeah. And so the beard comes down to your level because it's magnanimous. And it goes up above my level. Right. It goes the the beard. It's 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 like this Buddhist thing that like just it sort of kind of is in every way and isn't. But even when it isn't, it is. And I it, you should have touched it. I I couldn't. I did. I that's I wouldn't be on the show. Glowing. I'd be like a body sattva or something like that right now. I wouldn't be able to continue the show. Mm-hmm. And so it I I step back like half a step. I'm not joking. But I have to say that there were a lot of big beards at the convention this year. I mean, I, I have a beard, but Wayne has a beard. Brodor has a five o'clock shower because he never shaves. But the he, I love how you silenced him. He's like nodding. He still maintains his silence. Yeah, that's fine. That's, that's going to go positively on his review. That will. I, it will. When, I will note this in the HR. <laughs> Dude, that's a in finding. his file. Yeah, that, this will be part of his file. But there were a lot of big manly beards this year. Like well, Wayne and I don't have big manly beards. We just have beards because we yeah, don't like to shave. I regularly trim mine. Right. So well, well, Jenny Dixon had a, had a beard. <laughs> she, yeah. had a, she had a bigger beard than I've ever had in my yeah. life. Yeah. So for the inside joke there is several people wearing fake beards out of support for Pat with the whole cancer charity. Mm. And Jenny Dixon was wearing a fake beard. So it was just, that was fake. I guess. I don't know. I mean, it had like 10 colors in it. <laughs> I don't get involved in these subjects anymore. <laughs> Somebody walks up to me and just says whatever, and I just say, you know what? Sure. Why not? There's something. All right. So some gaming advice here. There was something that I learned this year about myself that is, I think, going to carry with me in future conventions. Mm-hmm. Whether it's Fear of the Con, I'm not going to Gen Con this year, but whether it's Fear of the Con or Gen Con or whatever convention I end up at next. When we finish Spiders and we put up for an Indy and it gets nominated, would you go to Gen Con? Yeah, I probably would. I don't think they'll give us an Indy, but I probably mm-hmm. would. I didn't think they'd give us an Indy for well, I think they did because none of us were there. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> but the thing that I learned was, so... If I look at my history as a game master, Mm -hmm. there are games that I have run that I felt were very good and I'm very proud of. And all those games have always been at least midterm games, usually long-running campaigns. You've always said you prefer the long form. Yes, because I know how to set up characters, how to set up foreshadowing. I I, I know how to milk that, right? I know how to make that work. But especially... When I'm dealing with a group of people that are either total strangers or people I do not frequently game with or haven't gamed within Mm. a year. So let's effectively call them for the sake of gaming strangers. And I sit down and I've only got four hours tops to go from here is your character in the system we're playing to their social awkwardness with each other and their social awkwardness with me to they're captivated 
to they've had a great experience to that four hours just flies by. You know, I've run some con games that were better than others, but I have never until this year run anything except the Star Trek ship on Ship Simulator, which doesn't really have a role-playing element, where I actually felt satisfied with what came out of it. And we'll review Broder's Broder's Hand Me Snowflake, so we'll review this in a second, is Broflake. But this is the first year that I actually ran, I ran two games. Mm -hmm. One was the Over the Berm story, which was about the time that Pat took me, Wayne, and Brodor into a dark golf course. And you did that with inspectors, right? Yes, yeah. and we did with inspectors. Was that your first time playing or running inspectors? Yes, first time running inspectors. And the plot was basically letting a flight of fancy curve. What was Pat really trying to accomplish there? Yeah. And, you know, we went all kinds of dark places and comedic places because it's an inspectors game. And then the second game that I ran was a Transformers game where they played the six major Decepticon jets. So they played Starstream, Thundercracker, Skywarp, Dirge, Thrust, and Ramjet. <laughs> Broder's giggling, so I'm guessing he's proud of his snowflake or something. But anyway, <laughs> I found something... You need to give him permission to speak again. I we have I, to review the snowflake all right, all right. real quick. It, so no, 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 no. I'm going to finish my story, and then, oh, okay. then we're going to go off on the snowflake. But <laughs> go off on the snowflake. <laughs> what, what, what helps me in both... <laughs> Was Pat. Yeah. And I think what I have to do is deconstruct mentally what Pat represented to me. Because Pat was the Joker from The Dark Knight. He was an agent of chaos. Hmm. In both games, in the first game, Pat played Pat, possessed by the ghost of Ted Kennedy. Yeah. And there was no script for him. And it's Inspectors. You can't script it. No, you can't. Inspectors is a game where the players write it themselves as it plays. Mm Mm-hmm. And then in the Transformers game, I already had my six people to play, but Pat didn't have anything in that slot. So he said, hey, can I play if someone doesn't show? And I said, you know what, Pat, even if someone does show, everyone shows, I've got a character for you. I'm going to let you play Starscream's ghost. And all I want you to do is antagonize the shit out of the party, particularly whoever is playing Starscream. Because... Like, Starscream's ghost, do you mean like... A ghost in the machine sort of No. Thing? Or do you mean like free-floating vapor okay, of so a robot? There is a, in the original Transformers cartoon, in the animated movie, uh-huh. there's a scene where Starscream gets vaporized. It's disintegrated by Galvatron. Because they want to do a new toy line. Basically. Yeah. And what happens in the next season of the cartoon is, for reasons that even Starscream doesn't fully understand and they never really explain, Starscream, part of his will, actually sticks around as a non-corporeal being, just like a human ghost, okay? so In real life. Yes, like a, a real one that yeah. you can find at Old Coke Hospital. We'll let Brodor speak in a moment. Like the one standing behind Brodor right now. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> as Starscream's ghost was supposed to be from the future, because the game involved a forward time travel, and basically was supposed to antagonize Starscream the whole time about all of his mistakes, all of his failings, all of his terrible plans, all the ways in which he had basically let it go wrong. Mm -hmm. And this was Starscream finally finding that Freudian outlet for all of his own self-loathing that he's too narcissistic to actually deal with. So instead he hates a past version of himself. 
But in both games, Pat was this uncontrolled agent of chaos that I think did something I desperately needed, which was he utterly disturbed my plans. He utterly yeah. disturbed, I, this is probably too strong of a term, but he utterly disturbed my formula. Mm -hmm. And I think what I need to do is deconstruct how that worked. And I've got to do one of two things. In future con games, I either have to figure out how to recreate that on my own, mm -hmm. or I need a security toy. <laughs> I need to find someone... Chad, mm. Pat, Wayne, when we let him speak, Brodor, but somebody that I know can come into the game and not disrupt, yeah. not derail, still keep the spotlight on the intended players, mm. but create that chaos such because that seemed to be why my short form games weren't working. And suddenly this year I had that chaos in both games and it was more than just unpuckering. It was total with Ramjet. Little loss. There's some <laughs> stories there, but a total loss of control. So that's my bit of gaming advice there. Chad, I want you to inspect the snowflake, and we're going to post right. a picture of this with the, the show notes. The bro flake. Right. I have a feeling this might deconstruct it, in my hands here. It's very delicate. Well, oh, it's one of the square ones. It would better work. Otherwise, Brodor is going to have to go to. Whenever some. I made snowflakes, they were always the square ones. I could never figure out how to get them like pointy diamond shape yeah well, this one's sort of a hex yeah you, you can look at the other side that has all the drawing on it yeah it's got kind of a doily look to yeah, it but very nice okay I like that oh i like the star in the middle look at that that's very nice all right brodor chad <laughs> approve chad is approved <laughs> chad do me a favor take a picture of that and text it to me and uh brodor you may now speak again. You are off probation. Uh, you said Thundercracker, and then in the same story, Ramjet. <laughs> like, the willpower that I had to execute to not laugh at Thundercracker. And then, because that goes into Thundercats, but then Ramjet. I mean, that's low-hanging fruit, but whatever. <laughs> so for me, the highlight of the con was during the Over the Berm game when Ted Kennedy Pat has the bottle of Sweet Baby Ray's barbecue sauce, right? The penultimate ingredient into breaking his conditioning and removing the spirit from him, right? And John Wells' character, John's playing Dan, Yes, right? yeah, John Wells John, is playing so, me. So John has the barbecue sauce, and he's going to use it to douse Pat, right? And then Pat grabs the barbecue sauce from him, and so John pulls out, Dan pulls out one of his many guns, the one of the 357s, the one of the three 357s <laughs> that's been floating around in the game, pulls out his pistol. Pat, Ted Kennedy, is holding the bottle of barbecue sauce right in front of his chest, at which point Dan blasts him, shattering the bottle, rending skin with broken glass, and thus the barbecue sauce getting into his blood, into his eyes, into his mouth. Yeah, he basically oh. gave him a total face shot, if you know what I mean, yeah. with <laughs> Sweet Baby Ray's barbecue sauce. And that exercise, that along with the fact that it cut his skin, the bullet grazed his cheek and therefore let the Sweet Baby Ray's mix in with his blood. Sweet Baby Ray's comes in a plastic bottle. Oh, I know. The, the, the oh, glass okay. thing. No, I said bullet. Brodor said glass. I said oh, okay. bullet. Because the, the, I didn't want him actually killing. Stubs, which is my favorite sauce that you can buy off the store shelf, comes in a glass bottle. But, because we had multiple barbecue sauces. Well, oh, yeah. okay. And this, there was a conspiracy. Procter & Gamble was behind a lot of this, mm. and they used Casey Masterpiece. 
Sweet Baby Ray's was pushed out. Oh. That was the one that we needed. Gotcha. And, and I think Glass Works because there was one miraculous bottle of Sweet Baby Ray's that happened to be in the convenience store right mm. when we needed it. So I think it was yeah. like, it was a special release or something. Yeah, yeah. I, I took yeah. it as okay. plastic, but I just thought it was brilliant on John Wall's part to go with that where Pat makes the roll and successfully grabs this, the one bottle of mm. Sweet Baby Ray's because, you know, of course, Ted Kennedy's ghost doesn't want to move on to the afterlife. No. And so, of course. And so he takes it from him. If anyone's not played Inspectors, at the start of the game, every character, every player, is given one poker chip. And what you can do is at any moment, you can put it down. And it's gone. It's gone forever. But you then start a confessional. Mm-hmm. And what the confessional is, is you break the fourth wall and say... Well, it was about this time that I noticed this and this and this, yeah. and then this happened, and then this happened. Or in my case, it's about this time my character walks to safety, leaving them all in trouble. Because <laughs> that's what I used it for. That is what I used it for. But whatever it is you want, you have complete, irrevocable narrative control. What you say is the truth. And so rather than even risk the die rolls on it, John Wells, who'd been saving his to the very end of the right. game. So Pat has a sweet baby raise. They're in the middle of the old Coke hospital, which has magically reconstructed itself as possessed by angry spirits that are trying to kill them horror movie <laughs> stuff. I mean, they are screwed with a capital S and suddenly Ted Kennedy gets the only thing that could stop this. And John Wells puts down that chip and he's like, so realizing that we were in deep, <laughs> I came up with a plan and he takes out the 357 and he shoots through the bottle splatters it all over Pat's face and that bullet grazes his cheek to allow that lovely sweet baby race to mix in with his bloodstream. I have to say, Dan, you did such an incredible job of describing the creepiness of all the ghosts because I'm watching Brodor's face the whole time. Brodor, if anyone doesn't know, real life Brodor is ridiculously afraid of ghosts. Yeah, it was uncool. Like, I, I won't go into a place where a person died. Like, oh, Grandpa died peacefully? That's cool. I ain't going in there. <laughs> so you're never coming to my house. Well, that I, that conversation got brought up. Yeah. And his answer was, Chad's a great guy. I will never go to his house. <laughs> yeah. Three people three have died. Three people have died. In my house. In, and it's on lot 13. So as Dan's <laughs> describing these horrible, really creepy, really great descriptions of things, Brodor is like, clenched up and his face has this look on it i took a picture of it because it was hilarious i was uncomfortable because i was like this is not cool and And all of the rest of us start twisting the knife oh the minute i knew that brodor was squirming i mean that 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 became the game that was the entertainment so so i kept ramping it up and the other players seemed to be enjoying it so i just kept ramping up and it was entertaining me it was entertaining them i mean something something brodor but (laughs) Yeah, it sucked. <laughs> I mean, the, game was, the game was great, but it was very uncomfortable because I was like, man, I can't. Let's not go to Coke Hospital. <laughs> nice. Uh, yes. Wayne is doing my favorite thing in the world. He has whipped out his cell phone and he's showing us pictures while we're recording a podcast. That, that is, well, Wayne texted me that one, so I included it in the show notes. So there's at least some context for the listeners at home because yeah, he's showing the picture of Brodor spooked out. All right, so, Chad, there's one other thing we're going to talk about gaming-related on this show. Mm-hmm. 
because you said at dinner there was quite a topic here, so I'm, I'm trusting you on this. There was a game you played called Darkenship. Darkenship. I was about to call Drakenhold. I, so, okay, I so have no I, idea where I came up with that. I looked at the name really quick when I signed up and didn't really look at it again. And in my mind, I changed it to Drakenship. And I don't know why. And when I showed up to the table, I wasn't exactly sure which table it was at because I actually had the wrong floor. Yeah. When I finally found it, they all looked at me and they all smiled because they're all waiting for me. And uh, I'm like, Drakenship? And they're like, Darkenship? Yes! And, uh, so- <laughs> well, all right, can I save you an uncomfortable situation at Future Cons? There is no game called Biffs. Biffs? Yes. Nobody here. The R in Riffs kind of looks like Biff, B if Biff, you miss. Oh, yeah. okay, okay. I didn't get it either. Womp, womp, Sorry. Womp. Whoever you are at home who got it, <laughs> thank you. That one guy. Yeah, yeah. That, that one Internet guy. High five. Probably Penguin Sushi. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> now that was funny. To continue, just to give some uh, some background story, I won't go into any gaming stories. It is a modern day game. It is a homebrew system. You are in the Navy. And you are in an amphibious assault ship, they're called. They're basically like mini aircraft carriers. They're not the huge 10,000 people aircraft carriers. They're smaller ones. And they're used to transport Marines. And, you know, Marines use Harriers and and, uh, hovercraft and stuff to assault somebody. 2,000 Marines on it or something like that. And there's a crew complement of like 1,000 sailors on one. So you are the crew. You are part of the crew of this ship. And you're in the Persian Gulf. And you are the lowest rank on the ship. You've just been on the ship for a week and you are the lowest rank and there are no officers in the party. And you each have a different job on the ship. You know, in the Navy, like you don't have a guy who handles the munitions and he's also the cook and he's also an aircraft mechanic. And he also is the navigator of the ship. That guy doesn't exist. You have your job, your role that you do and that's what you're assigned to. So the premise is you go to bed, and when you wake up, everybody on the ship has vanished. I mean, it's like rapture, right? I mean, it, you know, uh, if somebody was drinking a coffee walking down the hall, the coffee cup is shattered on the floor. I mean, it's just vanished. Everybody is gone. And then the mystery deepens from there. So if you think about it, we're sailors and we're on the ship. The guy who was running this was actually in the Navy. He was a naval seaman. And that was... <laughs> Get it out, guys. (laughs) Some things are so classic. I don't care how immature it is. I apologize for the interruption. Please continue. (laughs) We actually made a bunch of semen joke during the game ourselves. So, ship he served on is the ship that is in the game. I mean, the same type of ship with the name and everything in the Persian Gulf. And so it's a sort of paranormal game and it's a lot of mystery and we have to do some investigation and uh, there's a threat. There's like Assyrian ghosts that are trying to kill us and stuff and that sort of thing. Yeah, and to be clear on that, because I had to ask for this, he's not saying a space Syrian space ghost. It is the Assyrians as in the culture that was right. defeated by the Babylonians. Yeah, chariots and, and right, right. So we're talking like ancient, and, uh, yeah. ancient, like, you know, right. BC civilization. Yeah. So that that's the that's the general plot of it. And I won't get into it. It was a fun game. We had a really good time. What I want to talk about though for like the topic mm-hmm. is technical expertise in running a game. And not the technical expertise of knowing what hit dice are and that I mean I'm talking like this guy served on this boat. 
Sure. None of us did. I'm going to do something I'm going to regret and invoke D&D. When people mm-hmm. get in these discussions about mm-hmm. how long does it actually take to put on this or that kind of armor? Right. How many people does it take to don this mm-hmm. or that kind of armor? The reasons why a knight had an entourage mm-hmm. was because it was necessary. It wasn't right. just a matter you of... shield bearers for a reason. Yeah, precisely. Yep. And, you know, they had multiple weapons mm-hmm. that the... People that were with them were responsible for changing out based on the situation and such. So the guy who was running this, his name's Tristan Zimmerman, and uh, it was a system that he had he had made. But he had served in the Navy. He had served on this ship. And I think one of the other players had been in the Navy, but maybe it was like a long time ago, and maybe he wasn't on a ship or something. I didn't really get the details. But everybody else, no one had been in the Navy like at all. And we really didn't know anything about that no one else had served on the ship so essentially he had this wealth of information to share with the party right so yeah so none of the other players had had been in the navy none none of us had served on a ship we didn't know anything about anything and in that kind of situation i've seen it before and maybe not with the navy and and naval knowledge but with anything that uh like the game master is an expert on could be a setting could be technical stuff could be whatever and the game masters I've seen can either use it against you where it's just like, oh, well, you just don't know it. And then, you know, this is sort of power that I have. And not so much that, you know, you make a mistake and they they hit you with it, but more like instead of the mystery of the plot, it's the mystery of technology or that they're whatever trivia thing that they have. But what Tristan did was really interesting. It, it was really good because he did not explain anything. He just presented the ship, the setting, what was going on in very in technical terms. He he didn't get into a deep dive with it, but like he said, okay, you're going down the P way and that this and this and this is happening. And then somebody would raise their hand and they would go, what is, what is a P way? Oh, it, it's the passageway. It's just what we call a passageway P way. Oh, okay. And then we go on and then he would say, okay, so there's this ghost he's coming at you and he's got, it's like an Assyrian ghost with a spear and he's like four frames down and what, and somebody else raised their hand, go a frame. I'm sorry. What's a frame. He's like, okay, you know how there's a keel of a boat and boats are built in sections. They're like ribbed sections because they have this big bulkhead so that you can seal up the doors and, you know, flood entire section. The ship doesn't sink. One of those sections is a frame and then, you know, they're X amount of feet apart. And so he is four of these frames away from you down the P way. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Uh, There's all kind of like acronyms and stuff. Like we went to the engine room or the boiler room where the engines were and such. And it's like called the MMR, I think. And he's like, okay. And so you go into the MMR and do this and that. And well, what's the MMR? And he's like, oh, well, it's this and that this is what looks like. And this is what you do there. and, And this is what's going on. He never withheld any information. Every single question that was asked was answered in a a concise way that he didn't have to dumb down or treat you like an idiot. But here's the most important thing about the whole experience. You didn't have to know any of this information to play the game. If we had never asked him for any of these explanations, we would have been completely fine because he, the setting was very technical because we were on the ship, the game, the story, what we were doing was not 
incumbent on the technical side of it. He had a story. He had a plot. He had a solid game. He had interesting characters. He had a cool situation. He had a great way of describing things. He had a great way of really putting you in the scene. He had good game mastering skills. He would let people role play. He would let people argue for a bit. He would let things happen while we were arguing with each other. And then that would kind of be a consequence of that. So he was very patient with us in our questions for on the technical end. He never held it against us or held it over with us. He never punished us with it. And he always answered the question. But it was really interesting to see him have that technical stuff in there, yet the game was not hollow yeah, and he was filling it right. with technical L- stuff. Let me throw in two thoughts there. And these are things that you stated or at least talked around that I want to mm. put in my own words and focus in on. The first thing is that he never weaponized the information. Absolutely. At no point did he ever turn that against you and say, you are screwed because you didn't know something. Oh, you didn't go into the MMR? What's an MMR? Oh, you don't know what an MMR is? I guess the ship blows up. Precisely. And I have had people do that to me with setting information, with technical information. The The game masters are so eager to spring a gotcha on it because... They've confused a gotcha with tension and a mystery when instead it's a surprise and a screw well, job. And the second thing that I noted as you were describing that was the technical knowledge became a seasoning to the story. Absolutely. It was immersive. Okay, let me give you the example of technical knowledge with computers. Mm-hmm. Okay, most of the hosts on this show work professionally with computers. Big shock. A bunch of nerds that Mm. also do computer stuff. And we have the knowledge that you would expect of people who do those jobs. Mm -hmm. I can watch a lot of TV shows or a lot of movies, and I see where they throw in computer stuff, and it's nonsense. Right. They they have these cute little graphical interfaces, and they want to find somebody. They just hack everyone's cell phone and mm. click maps of the town. And it's, it's and just it's somehow all running through Perfmon because Perfmon is probably the number one thing I see on screens <laughs> when I'm watching sci-fi and they just want to have something pretty up on the screen. Yeah, I, will say, the moves. I will say as an IT server admin, if I have a non-technical manager and something's going on and they want to make sure they come into my cube and they're like, what's going on? What's this and that? I bring up a server and I pull up Perfmon, because <laughs> it's like ticking away and doing stuff. And it's got <laughs> yeah. these cool green lines. Yeah, I can do something similar with the fully yeah. verbose compile operation. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's just so much crap scrolling yep. up the screen. Mm-hmm. All right, but when I watch a show like Mr. Robot, yes. which I'm not sure if I can recommend, it's very entertaining, it's very well-researched. If it's not perfectly accurate, there's certainly a hell of a lot closer than most shows are. As an IT professional, I will say... Mr. Robot is 98% accurate on the technical side, but their main plot line, which I will not spoil, deals with the financial industry, and I work IT in the financial industry, and uh, that is like maybe 10% accurate. Yeah. They hired all the IT technical well, uh, consultants. They didn't hire anybody in the banking and, industry. And, and, but the thing, well, there's also heavy themes of mental illness right, and things right. like that, which... I think depending on who you are, you might find disturbing. So watch at your own risk. If you want to know the details, PM me and I'll work through it as spoiler free as I can. All right. But the point being though, that you can sit down and watch Mr. Robot. And when I was watching, there were obviously two people in the room. One was me. One was Carla. 
So I'm a senior level developer. Mm -hmm. Carla is very tech savvy. I would describe her as a super user, maybe a low-end programmer, but primarily she does analysis sort of work. And BA or QA? Or uh, both? uh, She's at, well... Mostly BA, okay, but a most mostly business analysis. But actually, the details would would take. It'd be a story that's longer than it is interesting. Right, it's in the financial industry. She <laughs> we should do a bonus episode called the most boring bonus episode in the world, where we talk oh, about our jobs. Yeah, we yes, we could checkmate that in no time. But the, all right, the <laughs> I was gonna say something that I shouldn't say. I can, I'm here to talk I, about. I can, I can talk. I can talk about the unbearable hotness of the people that work where I work. <laughs> it is unprecedented. The hot level of women. It's I can't take it. Like, <laughs> I had the same thing. I can't. I had the exact same thing when I was working for a home builder. It was ridiculous, man. I swear they only <laughs> these hired... guys were amazing. <laughs> Swarthy construction workers. No, I worked. I worked. Dude, I worked in the office, not oh, out yeah. in construction. I've worked with IT recruiters. Yeah, I'm. I'm telling you, man. I. I uh, there were only two types of people at work there, and I'm not trying to be sexist. I'm just telling you this is the reality. There were only two types of people at work there, and you could tell there was a man who did the hiring because there was a man who did the hiring. Because it was 50% males and 50% women who probably had months for last names. And <laughs> that's just the reality. All right. But anyway, the point being, though, that Carl and I were sitting in the room together with different levels of computer knowledge. Mm-hmm. But they told a story in Mr. Robot that has themes about human conflict, yeah. human desire, greed, whatever. It's kind of a depressing show in some ways. Yeah. But but these are things that are so sufficiently relatable that even if you don't follow a single word of the technical stuff, you can still follow the story because that's not what the story is yeah. about. It's not the writers. It's not an wanking their knowledge yeah. of, of how great this stuff is or trying to put a narrative to some kind of exposition on computer science or the financial industry. Mm-hmm. And in the same way, it sounds like with this game, look, I don't know anything at the technical level about ships. Okay. Mm-hmm. I did, for example, know what a frame was. Right. I do know a little bit about ship construction, things like that. Do I know what this guy knows? No. Right. He's forgotten more than I know, and I, I have no delusion. But can I relate to the idea of a story that you are suddenly alone? Mm-hmm. Well, we've all felt frightened and alone. Yeah, You wake up from a nap, and suddenly everybody in the house is gone, and you don't know where they went. That sort of feeling. You're in a place that doesn't feel as familiar as it once did, and there's a in what they call a numinous fear. There's mm-hmm. a fear of the unknown. Yeah. You have these ghosts. You have these things that are frightening, not because of what they're doing, but because of what they are and what they might do. And they are tr- they were trying to kill us. Right. I mean, for example, prior to this game that I ran of inspectors, to the best of my knowledge, Broder had no knowledge of Old Coke Hospital. But nope, I did not have to explain <laughs> but, the details of Old Coke Hospital to get him to buy into the idea of a haunted hospital. Right. These are these are story themes. Everybody grocks. I know more about the medical industry than most people do because I currently work in medical IT. And Mm -hmm. before that, I have spent a whole life with family members who worked at every level of the medical industry. 
But if you were to run a game in a hospital, let's say, where we're all doctors and nurses and stuff, which you have a lot of information about because your mother was a surgical nurse. Yes. You work in the medical industry. You work directly with doctors in their day-to-day office sort of routines. You wouldn't hold it over our heads. You, We would go into an office and say, you know, okay, well, I want to sneak in and I want to steal the medical records of this, that, and the other. I mean, you wouldn't say, okay, you do that. And then you trip all the alarms and you get arrested and it's yeah a and oh thing. by the way it's a hipaa yeah it's a hipaa yeah. violation you're like what's hipaa like well good question for your lawyers you're getting all <laughs> off <laughs> right you know right. it's it's never that that information is never it's not what the story's about right it's not about or, wanking that information or that's what it shouldn't be about uh, no I, I agree I played in games where the game master just didn't come with any any game well and there was something else that you described in there that i thought sounded really good what was this individual tristan tristan zimmerman tristan okay so something else that sounds like tristan did a really great job of which is the fact that this was woven throughout the story in such a way that you walked away from there knowing more about Mm -hmm. the navy and this boat than you did walking into the game but he wove it into the narrative and exposed it organically yeah he did not have to sit down and roll out the deck plans of the ship right, yeah. and give you a 45-minute to an hour lecture on life in the Navy, which I will admit is a mistake that I made in yeah. some of my prior role-playing games, particularly with homebrew settings and with Skies of Glass, the game that we're running right now, which, by the way, is still on Patreon. I will be releasing it public if it's not already. It will be very, very soon at skiesofglass.com. So you, you know but, I'm going to interrupt you right there. Okay. Well, so, you know what this guy did? Because you're, you're talking about, you know, he didn't have to roll out deck plans. He didn't have to roll. There are locations on the ship. Bridge, flight deck, mess, that sort of thing. The chapel, whatever. Sure. And we were in location A, and then we had to get to location B. And so we asked, well, okay, we got to do this and do the thing there. How long is that? You know, how far away is it? And he looked at us. He knew exactly how far away it was. He knew exactly how long it would take to get from our point A to his point B. You know what he said? It is a, quote, indeterminate amount of time away. <laughs> it is as far away as his plot requires it to be. It's pacing away. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. I, that is so awesome. Yeah. That is, it, it's like, that is exactly what you do in a big, gigantic maze. I mean, the, the days of us taking graph paper and marking little squares for every five feet of steps as we map out the dungeon. We don't have time for that crap. We're telling the story. We're fighting Assyrian ghosts, man. Yeah. Yeah, Dan, I like something you were saying there about how this is being introduced organically. Because I have been in multiple con games where you sit there and the first five to ten minutes is the setting. What I find for me personally, I don't remember any of that as the game starts going. Getting it little chunks at a time, I remember things better right. than having all that in the beginning. And it, it's just more immersive to run into it little mm-hmm. bits at a time. Well, yeah. and the part right. you see it because you're you're living it, you know, as as opposed to yeah. someone dictating to you, you know, as, as lecturing you right. about, hey, here's the ship and X Y Z. So, mm-hmm. well, and and the thing that I was going to say about Skies of Glass is, right now you guys are in Herman, Missouri. I have a vision for Herman, Missouri that I am slowly letting you in on as the bits and pieces become necessary. St. Louis and what's going on there is pretty much in utter control 
of your lives in ways that you don't even know, you're not going like to Like the Bilderbergs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're all dressed up in yak suits, having eyes wide shut parties. That's Bohemian Grove. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, they cross over, but... but uh, yeah, I'm sure it's the same people. <laughs> so can you imagine playing a conspiracy theory game with Brodor running it? I mean, he would just... If you did not throttle the players with your Dude. expansive <laughs> conspiratorial okay. knowledge, I would be disappointed. So, all right. So, the setup to the Over the Berm game, all right, was Pat was possessed by the ghost of Ted Kennedy. Right. All right. Now, for anyone who doesn't know, Pat does an excellent Ted Kennedy impression. <laughs> it's amazing. It is amazing. And Brodor does a really good Bill Clinton impression. <laughs> Which is also amazing at some point here we're going to have either a bonus or negative episode where we're going to have a presidential debate <laughs> between ted kennedy yes i know he wasn't a president but ted kennedy he could have been, he could have been. Yeah, yeah and bill clinton and it's going to be freaking outstanding <laughs> and i'm just going to ask, ask the nonsense questions it's not going to be serious <laughs> politics but what i i told pat as i said okay here's the setup to the story what's of what's really going on we're not pouring one out for arnold palmer Instead, what has happened is Ted Kennedy was working on programming his own Sirhan Sirhan style fall guy, but he died in 2009, August 25th, if I remember right. And so what happened is he hadn't finished that work. And so his ghost has possessed you, Pat, for the purposes of this game. He is trying to basically protect his legacy and to maintain his grip on the world and possibly finish some of the weird hypno-programming, mind-transference, men who stare at goats, mm. you know. All right, but the point being, what I told Paz, I said, so that's the setup. And I said, beyond that, the plot I want you to run with, because it's inspectors, I don't know where they're yeah. going to take it, but the undercurrent I want you to go with is whatever silliness comes out of Brodor's mouth, <laughs> whatever he believes, whatever he tells you, whatever conspiracies he's got worked out, they are 100% true. <laughs> His view of the world is completely flawless. Mm. And that's why Ted Kennedy has to kill him. <laughs> yeah. And it was creepy because mm. he was creepy because Pat, Pat would then doing the Kennedy voice, which I think is f***ing hilarious. He would then lean into me <laughs> and this sort of quasi sexual way and be like and put his arm around me and there was no quasi to it and want to lead me away from the rest of the party and i'm like freaking out because there's green fire and there's barbecue sauce recipes and it's bizarre and he keeps wanting to peel me away right but i'm like well something's wrong with pat i'm concerned everyone else is sort of scattered so yeah i'll go wherever you want to go pat let's go there (laughs) and that was the plot brodor knows the truth now just like real life (laughs) <laughs> but, but the thing is those conspiracy theories within the context of that game as intentionally nonsensical as it was that was genuine technical knowledge yeah. that was just as real in that game your bohemian Grove. oh the bohemian Grove. Sure. right right yeah. whatever it, that, <laughs> that was just as real in that game as the length of a frame is right in tristan's game mm-hmm. right it was it was just as real but it was never the centrality of the plot. Mm-hmm. Ted Kennedy wants to kill you because you know too much about the truth of government. Okay. <laughs> when, when he takes me to the lake that's on the golf course, to the small pond on the golf course, and he starts looking for a car. <laughs> <laughs> but the point is, th- this is a story theme 
right? We're all familiar with. Yeah. The government wants to kill somebody because they know too much. Right. How many movies is that? Yeah. We need to run a game where Aisha is hunting him. Uh, Since he fears her. That's I not a game. That's not a that's game. That's happening <laughs> right now. Yes. I'm so happy that I don't know what she actually looks like in real life. <laughs> a Marilith. Just go with that. That's what's in my head. Yeah. So before we close the show, let's do a round robin and everyone give the best game you either played in or GM at fear the con because and for me this is going to be somewhat rough one because a couple slots i was out Mm. so i my my selection here is pretty limited the one that came together and i tell you i was sweating it until it happened and it went off so wonderfully was the transformers game having pat play starscream's ghost is just this complete Mm. agent of chaos and then just the way the people that were there took so quickly and so readily through their characters. And though it had a Transformer start, a lot of Transformers theme, it had almost a Star Trek-ish plot. Mm. And yet it, it came together so well. Running that game was such a huge relief to me. I was stressing on that game. Mm. And so I was not only pleased with how it turned out, but I think that is probably spiced up by the fact that it was such a huge relief that it went well. Yeah. Chad, what about you? Uh, is, you... is your Darken Draken whole D- ship? <laughs> Draken ship is such a better name, but it is Darken ship. And Darken ship actually means something. Darken ship is a technical naval term. And he explained that. But my favorite game that I played in was Happy Birthday Beep Boop which was the kid's game. Uh, there were five little... I little... believe that the game he was actually running is Happy Birthday, Birthday Robot. Robot. Yeah. Is the, is, it is a children's game. Ryan... F- I... Frederick. Fred Frederick. Okay, sorry, I didn't know his last name. He's a saint of a man. He is. He is a wonderful man. The Dark Lord of Denny's. I tell you what, we can do an entire episode on how to run a game for children, which we've done in the past, but how he runs a game for children because he's amazing. What he does and how he handles it, I won't go into it here because we might actually do that, is pitch perfect. It is, I don't know how I run a game for kids now because I am going to run games like he does for kids if I ever run more games for kids in the future. It, it was amazing. I was there with another guy who is an adult. Yeah. And there were three little girls uh, ranging, and I can never tell ages. They're anywhere between 4 to 58. I don't sure. know. I, I can never tell. Somewhere ages. between birth and graduation. Right. And their mother was there. And their mother was playing a character, but she was more wrangling one who's, I think she was like 5 or so. And me and the other guy, the other adult, it was our job. Now, he, no one ever told us this. Ryan never told us this, but basically me and this other guy, we didn't even talk about it, but we're like, it's our job to make this game awesome for those kids. Because I've been gaming for like 30 years now. I've had the spotlight. I've done all the cool stuff. And one of the girls, this was her first role-playing game ever. Another girl, this was her second role-playing game ever. So yeah, we're going to make this awesome for them. We're we're not going to step on their plans. We're going to help out their plans. We're going to make suggestions if things slow down, the pacing slows down a little bit. We're just going to throw little things out there to kind of prompt and help them. I played like a comedic foil that they could make fun of. It was great. It was so good. And Ryan was so good. And of course, it was this heartwarming thing, right? He pushed the dad button. You play little kid robots 
and Beboop, you're throwing a party for him. That's the plot. But actually, the real plot was that Beboop was sad, and you kind of learn this through through the game because Beboop's father, I don't want to say died, but doesn't function anymore, and that's why Beboop is sad. And he just like. As that realization grew on me and stuff and and what it meant, we changed the game from throwing a birthday party for Beboop to we got Beboop a a present and a cake and all that sort of stuff to let's fix Beboop's dad, (laughs) give him the present and then wrap him up so that when Beboop opens the present, his dad comes out and gives him his present. And it was just beautiful. Ryan wrote a letter in case we did not we were not able to activate his father and it was dad bot's letter to his son Beboop about how much he loved him and about how he just wanted one more day with his son and if he could just hold him one more time and i'm like reading this and i'm just saying to myself i am i am not gonna cry in front of these little girls <laughs> they're having so much fun i'm not gonna cry and i'm just like it will take a lot more time, but you really need to play the nearer series of games. Yeah, it was it was a lot. It like very that. much reminds. I say what you're yeah. describing very much reminds me of near. Uh, Wayne. All right, I'm actually going to do two okay. because I want to tie off of one of Chad's. Mm. Specifically, he mentioned the girls in the game. Yeah. So anyone that says that they can't run a game at a con or is nervous about a con, my wife has never run a game before. My wife has no social skills whatsoever. <laughs> My wife is difficult to deal with at times. She found out there was a supernatural game and in the TV the, show. Yeah, yep. based on the TV show. In the week before the con, she read the book, she learned the rules, mm-hmm. she wrote the game, had 17 pages of notes that I refused <laughs> to read because they were 17 pages of notes. And she came to the con and she ran a game and those two kids are in it. Uh-huh. And she's she's essentially like I need to rethink how I'm going to run this because there are kids in it. And those kids had a ball. Yeah. I saw them after the game. They came out and one of them had a, uh, one of the poker chips that were used for Benny's and asked her if she could sign it because she was their GM. <laughs> oh, and th- awesome. th- those girls were so cute. Oh man. They're, they're cute as buttons and they're so enthusiastic. They're but, so into yeah. it. But my personal shout out is they haven't had games workshop crush their dreams yet. Very <laughs> <laughs> true. <laughs> They know they know not of fatal or riffs. No, thank God. <laughs> Biffs. Biffs. Yeah. But my personal shout out is uh, in my round robins game. This actually ties back into Dan's. The very one of the, one of the very last scenes was this incredible scene between Pat and Azria Vep from the forums. Uh, Azria playing Jason Todd with a gun to Joker's head, and Pat playing Dick Grayson trying to talk him down from killing him. And the role-playing between the two of them and Pat's impassioned speech, hitting all the buttons that Jason Todd character would care about, mm-hmm. was just, it was a nice, incredible end to the game. So my shout-out also goes to Pat. And then they drove off together into the Chappaquiddick. <laughs> <laughs> Which we learned when Pat looked it up on Wikipedia in the middle of the game. Apparently that stretch of the Chappaquiddick <laughs> is now called the Kennedy Car Wash. <laughs> True story. Oh, oh, so good. It's so good. Brother. So, so I, I have like this terrified moment in my head where I'm, I'm giving an Oscar speech and I'm going to forget to thank somebody. You're just picking one. So I'm j- what? You're just picking one. No, I'm, no, I'm, so I'm going to pick a game, but there are 
several people that I want to say thank you to that I'll need to either thank privately on Facebook or via the forums um, for all sorts of great stuff that they did, like Beer Angel oh, um, and, Beer my pers- Angel. and my personal advocate mm-hmm. and, and my, my two fists in Jack Daniels, man. But <laughs> for me, it was uh, it, it was the... And your spit target. Because I had, in my spit target, I had so many good games. I did not have a bad game at right. the show. It was great. Yeah, I, I had, didn't have a one. I had two convenient pickup games that I didn't think were going to have, that I didn't have scheduled that were fantastic in slot one and slot five. But to make it quick, because I know we're running along, for me, it was slot six, the uh, Brodor You Tell Me system, because that game only works if I have investment from the players. If the players at the table buy in and are like, okay, this is going to be just full bore gonzo, and they truly embrace the you tell me what happens, which they did, it was a blast. It was really, really great. It fired on all cylinders. I was really, really happy, and I hope that everybody had a good time. Nice. All righty, that's where we're going to wrap this one up. So once again, a big thank you to all of you that helped put on the convention. And to you guys at home, I hope there was some useful advice in there you can take away, whether for convention games or even just one-shot games with your friends. Uh, So, as always, have a great week and great games, and we will catch you next time. This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2017. Listeners are free to use this episode in any non-commercial endeavor so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. Fear the Boot is also a member of the RPG Academy network of shows. You can find other great shows in this network at therpgacademy.com slash network.